It's spiritual warfare. And the most important thing is to recognize that every one of us is in some kind of war, some kind of warfare. And if you don't recognize you, that you are, most likely you're losing. Because what you're doing is you're blaming situations, you're blaming your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your boss, you're blaming you know, the side of the tracks you were born in, you're blaming your relatives, you're blaming the color of your skin, you're blaming your not, lack of education, you're blaming your too much education, you're blaming where we live, we're blaming the snow. We're, we find, we're great at finding things to blame. But the Bible tells us we don't wrestle against your mother-in-law, your father-in-law. We don't wrestle against your boss. We don't wrestle against your, 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 your nationality. We don't wrestle against the snow, although we've been wrestling against it physically. But with the, it's not the source of the issues in your life. We wrestle in a spiritual warfare. And what that means is we have an enemy in another realm, another realm of existence, which is the spirit realm. There is a realm of existence other than this realm of existence that you see that the Bible calls natural realm, but we refer to it here as the material realm. It's made up of material substance, the things that you can see, feel, touch, hear, and taste. All those things that your five senses can detect, those are come out of this material realm that God created in Genesis 1 when he said, let there be. He created this universe all that we can see, not just this world, but all the worlds, the universe that's out there that science is still just discovering. God created that by saying, let there be. He is the Big Bang. I can tell you now, they're figuring out what the big... He is the Big Bang. The Big Bang was when God said. And it's still been banging ever since. It's still been creating ever since. But there's another realm out of what the Bible teaches us, that there's another realm out of which this spirit, this natural realm was formed. And Hebrews chapter 12, 11 says in verse 3, I think it is, that by faith we understand, it takes faith to understand this, that the worlds were formed or framed, the word says, out of that which was not seen. So that the things that are seen were not formed out of things that we can detect with our five senses. So the only point I'm trying to make at this point is that there is a spirit realm out there that's more real than the chair you're sitting in, than the car you'll drive home in, than the pile of snow in your driveway. It's more real than all of that stuff. It is eternal. And because it's more powerful, and just because you can't detect it with your senses, just because you can't see it, hear it, feel it, taste it, or touch it, doesn't mean it's not there. Now, this is, was a struggle for me early on because most of you know my background. I was a lawyer for 23 years, so I'm tr and I was a philosophy major in college. So I was trained to analyze things. I was trained to figure them out with my mind. And if my mind can't figure out and understand that, it doesn't exist, and there, and which is very much where our scientific world is today. It wasn't always there. Some of the great scientists of the age, like Isaac Newton, were strong Christians, they had no problem mixing their faith with science. It's in this modern age when we want to get rid of God that we, we use science to get rid of God. That's not necessary at all. They blend together very well if you believe there's a God that created. And so the point here is it's very important to understand this because we, we can't, we're in a spiritual warfare. We're dealing with issues. If you're praying for lost souls, relatives, and you're praying for situations in your life, there's an opponent that you have out there. And we need to learn how to, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers in, the, in heavenly places. That's in the spirit realm. And Paul said, therefore, because of that, take up the armor of God. 
And, and, and I've heard studies on this and where you, the whole thing focuses on the armor itself. But the armor is just parts of God. It's God's character and nature. Really what Paul is saying is put God on. And since if you're a Christian, he's living inside you by the Holy Spirit. So he's just saying, put him on. There are several places where the Apostle Paul says that. He says that earlier in Ephesians. He says that also over in, uh, I think it's Colossians. He says, put Christ on. And in Galatians, and make no provision for the flesh. Put Christ on. Put on who you really are. And it goes through these attributes, and we've looked at almost all of them so far. We've looked at the, the belt of truth. God is truth, so you have to deal in truth. We've looked at the breastplate of righteousness. You have to understand that Satan comes to attack your heart, condemn you. And so God has made, given you his righteousness. So it's important when you're dealing in spiritual warfare to realize that the enemy of your soul, one of his devices, because notice it's the wiles, it's the tricks, it's the deceit of the devil. It's interesting because when I have a, like a Sunday off like this Sunday because of the snow, I watch other Christian programming. We don't get much on the network we have, but, but we, have one, we get one channel. But I heard two messages on Sunday on spiritual warfare. So I think it's timely. And one of them talked about the, the, the shot in your feet with the, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And it was the, basically the same message, except they left the cleats out that we talked about. But anyway, so this is very timely in people's lives right now. So we have to walk in truth. Righteousness means you have to realize that if you're in Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, God's not angry at you. He's, he's given you His righteousness so that you can stand against the enemy not knowing that you're not perfect. Then the other side, the inside of that breastplate, is you have got to walk in a righteous way. Not perfect, but you've got to be living your life as best you can in righteousness, not just trying to get away with stuff. And then we saw the helmet of salvation, which we talked about uh, 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 two times ago, which the helmet of salvation is understanding, making, the Bible says, renew your mind. Learn to think the way God thinks. And you know the way God thinks because he tells you in this word how he thinks. So we need to learn to change our thinking to line up with this word. And then last week, we talked about the shield of faith with which it quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. And faith, the fiery darts are designed to get at one or more of your five senses. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith believes what God says, not what my senses say. So it doesn't matter what it feels like. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It only matters what God says. And when I'm strong in what God says, and when I'm strong in who He is, when my senses scream at me something else, I'm not moved by that. My shield is up, and it's taking the fiery darts, and it's putting them out before they get into me and injure me. Tonight we're going to look at the last piece of the armor, and then next time we'll look at a weapon that we have. And it's taking up, verse, eight, verse 17, taking up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Of all these parts of the armor, the sword is the only offensive weapon that's enlisted here. All the others are designed to protect your body. And we've talked about the fact that when you're in warfare, and understand their warfare was by and large hand-to-hand, and that's kind of the image here. And this is the image of a Roman soldier that the Jews, that, that, that the Ephesians and everybody in the known world at that time would be very familiar with because they were occupied by Rome and Rome enforced its power by sending its garrisons of soldiers there. So on street corners, 
marching down the streets in the center of town where they would have the marketplace, you're going to see Roman soldiers walking about wearing this armor. So they were familiar with what it looked like. And the purpose of that armor was to protect the soldier in battle so that he can defeat his enemy and and not be injured himself. Because if he gets cut or injured or stabbed, he's not strong enough then to defeat his enemy, but he's going to need to be pulled out of the battle and be healed. And unfortunately, in the church today, there are many injured soldiers. And instead of pulling them out of battle and nursing them, we turn, turn around and stab them. We turn around and condemn them, pull off the breastplate of righteousness and condemn them and say, you must have not had enough faith. There must be something wrong in your life. You must be doing something wrong instead of banding together, taking the wounded soldiers off the battlefield, nursing them, making them whole so that they can come back in to the battle. We've got to grow up. And see, when you, realize, when you go into other nations, nations where it's illegal to be a Christian... We're going to have a missionary here in June who's a missionary to mainland China. And they'll give you a very different picture of the church. When you go into some of the communist nations or now in some of the nations in the Middle East where if you're found out to be a Christian, you can be beheaded. And now you're beheaded on YouTube publicly. And so in those countries, the Christians don't kill each other. The Christians don't condemn each other. They bind themselves together because they know they have a common enemy. And Satan deceives the church to thinking we are our enemy. That the Baptists are our enemy and the Lutherans are our enemy and people that don't maybe agree with us about everything, that they're our enemy. And he gets the body fighting against itself. And then he doesn't have to do anything. But we have God's Word to tell us not to do that. All we have to do is just obey the Word. This is my commandment that you love one another. Not judge one another. Not figure one another out. In fact, the Bible warns you in Romans 14. I wasn't planning to go in this direction, but that's where we're going. Romans 14 says, Who are you to judge another man's servant? Who are you to judge another man's servant? You didn't save them. I didn't save them. Who am I to judge somebody else? Now, there is a proper judgment. We've talked about that a number of years ago. But not a condemning judgment. So we're here to help one another because we're all part of the same army together. We're all part of the same body. So all the rest of the armor is to protect the body so that we're not injured in the battle and we can stand in the battle. But the sword is the only offensive weapon. Now what is a sword? A sword is designed to cut your enemy or to hack them to cause injury to them by stabbing at them. When I taught on the armor of God, John Zabrowski has this wonderful sword. It's a Roman sword, not a real one, but, it, you know, but it's a replica of a Roman sword. And I pulled it out and showed you what it was like. It's about that long, I think, and it's kind of heavy. And it's very pointed at the end, and it's, t- and it's sharp on both edges. So the purpose of the sword is to... This is it's going to sound real basic but it's going somewhere that's important for spiritual warfare. The purpose of the sword is to jab at your enemy or hack at your enemy and cause damage to them. And if it doesn't cause damage to them, the potential for that damage scares them and pushes them away. In the Revolutionary War, one of my, 
one of my interests is, and I don't spend a lot of time in it, is the Revolutionary War. And one of the things the British did, that, that, that they did for, for a, a very specific purpose, is they designed, they stuck on the end of their long muskets, which are not accurate at all, bayonets that were about that long. And they were simply sharp, very sharp at the end. And the way they would go into battle is they would go into a battle formation, I'm sure you've all seen them, and they would lock the, the, the bayonet on the end and they would put the, bayonet, the, um, the muskets down and slowly march towards their enemy. And all the enemy saw, they didn't see the rifle, they saw that sharp point aimed at them slowly, consistently, methodically marching toward them. And the main purpose of that bayonet was to instill fear. And so another purpose of a sword, because of the potential to cause injury and harm and to stab and to kill the enemy, is to put fear in them when they see that sword out there. So in the natural, which is the example Paul is using here, an offensive weapon we've been given for this spiritual warfare is the sword, but it's not a physical sword. It's not a sword made of steel. It's not a sword made of a bronze. It's, it is the sword... It is the sword of the Spirit. So it's a sword that's designed to do the same thing that a physical sword is, but not into a physical body, but into your spiritual enemy. Now remember, we have a spiritual enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So your spiritual enemy is not someone you can see, but we do have a spiritual enemy against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in heavenly places. That's referring to different levels of demon authority. We know that's real because Jesus dealt with Satan on at least two occasions we know about. Satan came to tempt him in the wilderness when he was first filled with the Spirit, but he also came in the garden to tempt him from going to the cross. And Jesus fought against him with the weapon we're going to use, look at today. We looked at it last week from a different perspective. So what a physical sword is designed to do is to bring, is to bring the potential for stabbing and injuring and incapacitating your enemy. And as a result of that, when that sword is drawn and it is used, it approached the enemy with it, it's in tended to instill fear in the enemy so that the enemy will run and will flee. That's what the natural sword is designed to do. Well, the spiritual sword is intended to do the same thing. The spiritual sword is intended to do the same thing. Okay. Now, what is it? It tells us right here. And, and, and the sword, and take up the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So somehow, God's Word is a spiritual weapon, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. Somehow, God's Word is a spiritual weapon. Now, words can hurt, and we need to understand what it means to be a spiritual weapon. Words can hurt. All of you have been hurt, I'm sure, to some degree, by something somebody has said to you. Whether it was a teacher or a parent or a friend or somebody you trusted, they may have looked at you and said, Boy, you're dumb. You'll never amount to anything. That cuts and hurts 
down in the soul. Somebody may have looked at you and said, you know, you're ugly, or you're this, or you're too fat, you're too short, you're too this, you're not this, you'll never amount to anything. And those are words that you may have heard as a child, and cut as a child, and you've grown up, and you're 20, 30, 40 years of age right now, and if that sword hasn't been pulled out, and that wound hasn't been healed, it's still affecting you. It's still affecting you. So words are very powerful, and words can hurt And James, I think it's chapter 3, warns us about that. Talking about your religion, if your religion is true religion, then then you'll watch what comes out of your mouth. In Ephesians, I think as Paul says, make sure that every word that comes out of your mouth is edifying to one another. That means builds one another up, not tears one another down. Oh, and this is where the body of Christ takes a wounded soldier and instead of healing, cuts him even more. We just say cutting things. And maybe we are not intend to be cutting, but it's just we don't think what we're going to say, and the enemy takes what you say and uses it to come at them and to speak against them. But if we only speak edifying words, he can't do that, can he? If we only speak edifying words, say, well, I, I can't think of anything edifying to say. Well, my mother had an old saying, which I'm sure your mother may have too, if you can't think of anything good to say... Don't say anything. Just smile. (laughs) See, when you smile, they don't realize how ignorant you are. (laughs) There's a proverb on that. I won't go there. All right. So that's natural words. So we've all experienced... I'm going over this because it's important to understand because what this weapon is is not natural human words. You cannot insult the devil. Your spiritual enemy, you can't call him names and he gets hurt because you don't like him. You can't tell him he's ugly, and he is. You can't tell him he's ugly and he's going to go home thinking, oh my gosh, they don't like me there at Faith Christian Center. He loves that. He feeds on attention. So you can't say human words to him that have any effect other than just whet his appetite (laughs) to come at you. So what is this? It tells us. It doesn't say, take up the sword of the Spirit, which are your words. And this is what we do sometimes. We see a situation of injustice, or we see a loved one who's who's struggling, and we, and we know that the devil's trying to tear their life up, and we get in the flesh, and we get mad. And we're smart enough to know not to get mad at them. We're smart enough to know it's the devil that's causing it. So we get mad at the devil. And I don't find anger in here as a weapon. In fact, it's kind of listed among the works of the flesh. Now, there's a spiritual anger, but that comes up from within. And when that comes up, a power comes out of you. But most of the time, we're angry in our flesh. We're angry in our emotion. We're angry because what we want didn't happen. We're angry because somebody we love been hurt. We're angry because somebody's situation we don't think is right is being going on. So we get angry for ourselves. And when we do that, and we get angry and call the devil names and yell at him and scream at him, we're using words, but they're human words. They're your words. And there's no power in those. 
They just bounce off of him. They just pays no attention to them other than maybe laugh at us. No, it's very explicit. It says the word of God. Now, God's words are different. I hope you understand that God's words and your words are completely different. When you speak what you want, there's little power in that. The only power is your ability to back up what you say. So if you tell the devil you're going to throw him in the fiery pit, let's watch you do that. You don't have the ability, you don't even know where it is. So when you declare something, the only power to carry it out is yours. And if you had so much power on your own, you wouldn't be in trouble to begin with. And this is why he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. That's the part we miss. We miss that little step. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. There's a word that just keeps jumping out at me lately, out of, the, out of the, Paul's letters. And it's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the Spirit. He says, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in the demonstration and the power of the Spirit. Where's the power? Where's the power in the church? We sang about being free tonight. We sang about being delivered. But most of the time, it's a bunch of bound-up people singing, I'm free. And here's the danger. We come to church and we sing how free we are and we walk out that doors all bound up as much as we were when we came in. Go back up to a family that's bound up, to a job where we're bound up. In fear, we're bound up. In discouragement and depression, we're bound up by all the weapons of the enemy that uses to fight against us. Where's the power? Maybe we're fighting too much in our own strength in our own emotions. Listen carefully for our own purposes. We're going to be hearing more and more about this this year, about making sure that our purposes are God's purposes. I'm preparing now the next couple of Connect lessons for Connect groups. and One of the things I'm talking about is, and this is something Pastor Sam years ago, a founding pastor, opened my eyes to, We're learning about the authority of the believer, but isn't it interesting? Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority has been given unto me, him, Jesus, in heaven and on earth. Wow. I've got that. I'll walk in the authority of Christ. But then he says, Go ye therefore. The therefore means because of the authority that I've been given, I commissioned you to go. And what? Make disciples of all nations. The authority that's been given to the church is to go make disciples of all nations. And what we want is the authority to use for our purposes. And we don't wonder why it doesn't work. Because God's authority is only to carry out God's purposes. Now, part of that purpose will be for you to be well, for you to be, have the provision you need, but that's all so you can carry out His purpose. The only reason we're here, you're going to hear a lot of this year, the only reason we're here, the only reason Faith Christian Center is here, the only reason you're alive as a Christian is to carry out that commission. And everything God does for you to heal you, prosper you, 
pro- provide for you, protect you. All that he does for you is so that you can be here and well and function as a soldier to carry out the purpose of the church. And we've lost that purpose or never had it, many of us did. So we're trying to operate. One of the greatest per- examples of this is one of my favorite stories in the, in the, in the New Testament is in Matthew Chapter 8, starting in verse 5, it's the story of the centurion. Not even a Jew. He has no covenant with God, but he observes. He watches. And he comes to Jesus. And he says, my servant's lying at home, suffering greatly. This is a neat insight. Before he tells him what he wants Jesus to do, Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. I'll come. I'll come. He, he didn't even get out what he wanted him to do. He says, I'll come. He heard the needs. I'll come. By the way, he still comes. He still comes. Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he came yesterday, he'll still come to your house today. But the centurion says, no, 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 no. I wasn't going to ask you to come. I don't need you to come. One of the other accounts says, I'm not worthy for you to come. Why? Because I'm not a Jew. I have no covenant with God. He says, but I don't need you to come. All I need you to do is say the, oh, the word here, and my servant will be healed there. Now, how do I know that, he says? Because I'm like you. This is what he observed. He says, I am also a man under authority. Oh, He observed about Jesus that Jesus was under authority. And he says, see, this was his military background. A Roman centurion was was an officer in charge of a hundred soldiers. And he said, I recognize something about you because just like you, I'm somebody under authority. So somehow he saw in Jesus... He could recognize the authority that Jesus was under. Oh, this is a good one. You ready? The reason he could recognize it is because he was also under authority. If you're not under some authority, you're going to have trouble recognizing and operating in God's authority in your life. And then he goes on to say, and, and I, therefore, I say to my soldier, one soldier, go, and he goes, and another soldier, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. See, the evidence that you're under authority is when you're told to do something, you do it. It's not complicated. The proof he knew that those soldiers under him were under authority is when he said, go, they went. They didn't figure out why, how, when. They just did what he said. And he said, because I recognize that not only are you under authority, but you're in authority, I know you only need to say the word. He says, I only have to say the word to my servants, and they do it. That's in the natural realm. In the natural realm, my servants, because they're under authority, and they're under my authority, 
And where did I get my authority from? Because I'm under somebody else's authority. So the authority that my soldiers operate in is authority that flows from my senior commanding officer down through me to them. It's his authority that's flowing to them. And because of that, when I say go, they go. The evidence that they're under authority, listen carefully, is they obey my words. And because of that, I recognize in the spiritual realm, you're also somebody, as I am in the military, you are somebody who's under a higher authority than you. And because of that, therefore, every spirit being underneath you has got to hearken to your word. They have no choice. So you don't need to come and do something like lay hands or anoint with oil or spit in their eye or whatever. You don't have to physically do something to heal my servant. All you got to do is say the word here. And because that authority is flowing through you, it will flow through your words to accomplish it in his body somewhere else. Now here's the key. It's all in one little word. A-L-S-O. Four letters. He says, I recognize that you are also someone in authority. Under authority. Because here's what we try to do. We try to operate that authority over spiritual forces without making sure we're under it. But authority flows from its source to where you aim it. And if you're not in the flow, the higher authority can't flow through you. It's the authority you're using has got to emanate from you. That's why we're doing it in the flesh. We're trying to make things happen in the flesh because we don't want to be under the authority because then I'd have to do what he says. I don't want to do what he says. I want his help so he can help me do what I say. But I don't want to be under what he says because he might say to do something I don't want to do. So what I want to do is I want to go command the devil to get out of the situation without being under his authority. So I'm going to ask God to come in and support me and back me up as a resource for me. And that's how many of us see God's Word. It's a resource that we can turn to so that what we want will get done. And we wonder why it doesn't work and we wonder why we get worn out because you have to create your own authority. You've got to work it up and enforce it. And you can't do that long. There's a great example of this. And you've heard me teach this before, but it just says it so graphically. Kind of hard to relate to it now with all the snow in my backyard. But sometime in the future, I have great faith to believe that all that white grass is going to go away. And I'm going to see that was what was under there only four weeks ago. <laughs> and at some point in the next few months, some of those flowers that I remember in the distant past were there 
are going to begin to pop above the ground again. And they're going to begin to cry out to me, they need something. So I'll go somewhere in the spring and pull out of my garage the hose on the wheel, and I'll bring it out and set it next to the spigot or faucet. Well, I forgot what you call it up here. And attach it. And then I'll open it up, and then I'll unwind the hose, and I'll go over to the crocuses or whatever it is that's starting to come up, and I'll just begin to open the valve and begin to spray them. And what that is, a very simple principle of the water flows from Bristol County Water Authority, wherever they're getting it from, through all the pipes, through the pipes of my house, out through that spigot, faucet, or whatever you call it, into the hose, through the hose, and as I open the valve at the end, out onto the flowers. And that's what, how authority flows. But imagine this. Imagine it's come springtime, and that takes imagination right now, but it will come. And I get the hose out there, and I go out to the crocuses or whatever it is I'm going to water, and I open the thing up like that, and nothing comes out. And I can't understand why. How come this thing's not worked last year? And then I look over at the house, and I forgot to do something. I forgot to connect the hose to the faucet and open the valve. Because if I don't have the hose connected to the faucet, there's no water coming into the hose. And if there's no water coming into the hose, this is real simple, there's no water coming out of the hose. If I'm not connected and submitted under His authority, then there's no authority from Him that can flow through me and flow through me out the other end of my hose. And here's where it gets tight. Because the way God operates in authority in the church is through people who... I'd rather... But pastor, I'd just rather go alone with God and hear what God has to say to me. And then I'll go do what God has to say to me. You're just as much a liar as the children of Israel at the foot of the mountain. When they say, Moses, we don't want to go over there. We don't want to see what God has to say ourselves. You go hear what God has to say. And you come tell us, and we will do it. Liar, liar, liar. I believe they were sincere. But you can be sincere and wrong. You can be sincere and wrong. And the problem they had, they said, we'll do whatever God says. The problem is when God told Moses to tell him to do something, they got upset at Moses. Even his own brother and sister said, well, wait a minute. They think God only speaks through you? This is a brother and sister. It's a family issue. They had him. Moses had him. Jesus had him. His brothers and sisters didn't understand him. So you're not the only one. And, go, and, 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 and Moses, Miriam and, and, and Aaron, the high priest, says, wait a minute. God speaks to us too. Of course, God didn't speak to them face to face. And God didn't call them up on a mountain. God called them to serve under Moses. 
And they were wondering, well, wait a minute, what's so special about him? I wasn't planning to get in this direction at all tonight. What's, what's so special about him that he's been put over us? And so they complained. And God showed up at the door of their tent, pushed Moses aside and said, I want to talk to them. While they're doing that, Moses on his face, listen carefully, praying for his brother and sisters who just offended him. This is one of the reasons God spoke to Moses. Because Moses' heart was humble. It's also the one that God exercised authority through to part the Red Sea, to call water out of the rock, to turn the, wa- the bitter water sweet. When Moses' hand was held up, they prevailed in battle. God flowed authority through Moses, but Moses was submitted in his heart. And the people had trouble submitting to a man. Oh, we'll submit to God. But if you won't submit to the man, and it doesn't have to be just a man, but the person that God's put over you, then why would you think you'd submit to God if God put them over you? Then you're disagreeing with God. Now, the reason that's important is because in spiritual warfare, you're exercising spiritual authority. And if you don't understand spiritual authority, it's like not understanding electricity and deciding that you're going to rewire your house. I did that once. We survived. (laughs) Plumbing? Uh, I won't go into that story. (laughs) I tried to replumb the bathroom, and the plumber loved me <laughs> and laughed at me. But if you don't know what you're doing with electricity, don't touch it, because it can be fatal. And if you don't understand spiritual authority, don't fool with it. Don't fool with it unless you have the right position under that authority. Now, all of that was because we're talking about the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And God's words are different than your words and my words. Genesis says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did He do that? He spoke words. Do you understand that everything that's ever been created instantly obeys God's word? Everything that's ever been created instantly and forever obeys God's word except one creation, and that's man. Everything else, in fact, it says all in Hebrews 11 that the universes are out there and they're held together today by the word of his power. Not the power of his word, by the word the expression of God's power. God's power and God's authority is released by His words. His words contain the power to accomplish what they say. I'm spending time on that because it's a spiritual weapon. It's a spiritual weapon. Let me give you a couple of scriptures to give you examples of that. Isaiah 42, verse 2, says, He has made my mouth 
the prophet. Like a sharp sword in the shadows of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. So several times the prophet's words, because they were God's words, were referred to as a sword. Over in Hosea 6, 5, you don't have to turn there, but he talks about the prophet said, I, 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 um, I slayed them. The word actually means to hack them with his words. God's words are like a sword in the spirit realm. And the best example of that is in Revelation. We get a picture of this. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Well, Hebrews 4. It was on your way there. Let's stop at Hebrews. We got a few minutes. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Well known. Uh, for, excuse me, 412. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, to the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight. God's word. Now go to Revelation chapter 1. It's talking about Jesus and how he appears now. One sixteen. This is what Jesus looked like to John when he saw the vision. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, remember, this is symbolic. This is, this is the, the vision is to communicate something. And what it's communicating about Jesus is his words are like a sharp two-edged sword. They cut. Let's go over to Revelation 19. Verse 11. We'll read this whole passage here. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Obviously, this is Christ. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns, and his name, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of, and his name is called the, and his name is called the Word of God. And, in the, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he strike the nations. It's the word of God. God does things by speaking them. When you and I speak something, we're predicting what's going to happen. I mean, look at the weathermen. Actually, they've been doing pretty well lately. But they're telling you what's going to happen but it's a prediction. They don't have the power to make that happen. When God says it's going to rain 40 days, He didn't consult His computers. He didn't consult His barometer. He didn't consult you know, the weather temperature. He didn't try to figure out whether the, whether the globe was warming or getting colder. He just said it's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. And because He said it, that's what made it to happen. When he said it, somebody didn't go out and make it happen. The power to make it happen was in his word. And the problem we have is we take God's word like our word. 
So we think that when God says something, he's predicting something just like we are. But he's not. Romans, uh, uh, Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man. So everything you know about words other than this has come from men and women. And whether you can trust them, whether they can, will come about. But the Bible tells us you can't look at people to decide what God's word's like because God's not one of them. He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent, which means change his mind. Has he not said it? And shall he not bring it to pass? Oh, that gives me great comfort when I get a promise of God. Now here's where all this leads to, and this is what we'll end with. Come back to Ephesians 6. He says, I'm taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How do we fight against our spiritual enemies with this sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God on your lips and on mine. Because the Bible tells us, we don't have time to look at the Scriptures tonight, but you can look at Hebrews 1, verse 14. It says that the, the angels are ministering spirits, serving spirits, sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation. Who's an heir of salvation? I don't know you, but I am. If you're in Christ, you're an heir of salvation. That means angels have been assigned to fight spiritual warfare for you. What are they going to fight with? What weapons will they use? They're going to punch the devil out? No. They're waiting for you to put a sword in their hand to fight that enemy. And the sword you put in their hand is when you open your mouth and instead of complaining, instead of feeling sorry for yourself, instead of talking about somebody else, you take the Word of God and with that Word of God, you speak out to that situation what the Word of God says because then when you do that, the authority of heaven connects the hose to your mouth and the power of heaven that created the universe flows out of your mouth and the devil sees that sword in the Spirit in the hand of that, that angel of yours and that sword scares him he's been hit by it before why do you think he works so hard to get you to complain why do you think he works so hard to get you gossip why do we work, think you get you work so hard to say anything out of your mouth but the word God because it is your offensive weapon to fight against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Say, but I don't see it happening. That's why the shield of faith is for. This says nothing about seeing anything. Seeing with your eyes is fighting in the natural realm. It's not a natural battle we're fighting. The results of the spiritual warfare will show up and manifest in the natural. But we don't care about that. That kind of falls naturally. It's the spiritual. It has to be won in the spirit first. The battle has to be won there first, and then it will show up here. And the weapon that we've been given. Imagine the, the privilege that God would say, take my word, put it on your lips, and speak it out of your mouth. And if you do that, I'll back you up. Matthew 18, Jesus said to Peter, Whatever you bind on earth 
Now, literally in the Greek, what it says, whatever you bind on earth will be as if it's already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be treated in heaven as if it's already been done. In other words, you open your mouth, take my word, you speak out, and I will back you up. I'll flow through you to back that word up. Which is why the devil, he's so scared you're going to do that. They don't tell you it's not working. If he can't get you to use that against yourself and against somebody else, he'll tell you it's not working. That's foolishness. You're saying things that aren't happening. You've been doing this for a long time and it's not working. That's because he's best about to get him. You're right there. Understand this about the devil. I don't talk about him much. But you could have your foot on his throat and the sword ready to go in him and he's going to tell you you're losing. Because he's not bound by the truth. He's a liar. So don't listen to him. Would you listen to somebody that wore a t-shirt that says, I'm an inveterate liar? I'm incapable of telling the truth. Let me talk to you for a while. I'm... The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. When you speak God's Word in that situation, you're putting a sword into the hands of your angels to fight for you. But when you don't, when you just quiet or you complain, they got to stand there like this, waiting for you because they're sent forth to beckon to the Word of God, whether it's on His lips or it's on your lips. They beckon, they respond to God's Word, not your Word, God's Word. Say, well, how do I know what God's Word says? That's why they printed a book. You know, of any generation that's without excuse, it's us. I can't tell you the number of translations I have between my phone, my iPad, my computer, my Bibles that I have here. And I mean, I've got so many... You know, I just had to c- focus down on a few. We're without excuse. I can go to sleep now and my, my phone has a translation on it that speaks scriptures to me. Not just scriptures. It goes through... I went halfway through Romans last night because I woke up in the middle of the night. Just, in fact, my dangers, I start listening. You know, that'd be a good sermon. That'd be good about it. We have no excuse to not get that word in us. But it's not the word in you. It's the word coming out of you that has the power. And there's so many of us here that are full of the word. We're full of it. But we're not speaking it out. And taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We ask you tonight to take what it is we've heard by your Spirit. Sink it down into our hearts. So tomorrow and the next day and the circumstances that come against us, when we're feeling discouraged, when we're feeling defeated, when we're feeling all those negative things that we've had to deal with, remind us of what we've heard tonight, that we may begin to speak your word and watch the enemy flee. 
you promised in your word that if we resist the devil, he will flee. We thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.